You're listening to Aesthetically Speaking. On this podcast, we're talking about all things branding, logos, colors, fonts, and the strategy behind it all. It seems like these days it's easier than ever to build an audience, but harder than ever to stand out online. My name's Rebecca, and I'm a brand strategist and designer. I'm here with my sister, Abby, a lawyer who needs a creative outlet. Together, we're going to talk about how to bring your brand to life. Welcome back, everyone. For those of you following along, for the fans, for the longtime fans, you know what's up. It's the letter K. And we had a really hard time deciding what to do for the letter K because there aren't a lot of good industries that start with the letter K. But I think what we came up with... There's something about the English language. We're just not in the right... We're not in a Scandinavian country or a Germanic country. I did have the idea that we could talk about all of the brands that use K's where they shouldn't use K's, like Play School. Yes. Or like Cars for Kidneys. Yes. Yeah. All of those replacement ones. But I think what we came up with will be better. Today, we're going to be talking about keeping up with trends in business and branding. And I want to start by giving this explanation, disclaimer, whatever you want to call it, that being on brand is not the same thing as being on trend and that being trendy is not always a bad thing. But I want everybody to understand trends so that we can use them to fit your brand instead of chasing trends that don't really work for your business long term. So in this in this context, how do you define trend? When I think of a trend, I immediately think of fashion. I do too. I was actually going to ask you, how would you define a trend? And don't peek at my notes. Yeah, when I think of a... I won't peek at your notes, even though you've shared the screen with me. When (laughs) I think of a trend, I think of what's in this season, right? So Mm -hmm. it's not just about what's practical in when the weather gets cooler, we wear more layers, but it's about usually a cosmetic thing that's intended to convey like status or youth or novelty. Mm-hmm. And it's usually fleeting. Yes. Yeah. I really like that definition. I think sometimes we juxtapose like, is it trendy or is it timeless? We're going to talk about that in a second. But mm-hmm. I think oftentimes we have a concept that like a trend is something that doesn't last or that it's purely aesthetic, that it's not functional. And I think there's some truth in that, but everything is a trend in some ways. Right. I remember when skinny jeans came out, everyone was like, these are so unflattering. They'll never get off the ground. And then 10 years later, when they stopped being the prevailing trend, people were losing their minds about it, including me. Yeah, I was like, when you say people, do you mean me and you? Because I feel like that's true. We we did bring this up like in our first episode. But yeah, I think we did. What seemed like a trend actually now is considered to be something that's classic. Right. So here's kind of my definition of what a trend is and kind of the lens at which I want to look at trends for this episode. So I Googled it and the definition I got was so lame It said, a trend is a general direction in which something is developing or changing. And I'm like, yeah, no, duh. Blah, blah, blah. Some accountant wrote that. Right? I'm like, did chat GPT come up with this? Anyway, and so (laughs) 
I think there is some truth to that. I like your definition better that it represents something that's fleeting. It represents something that like comes for a season and goes. And one thing that I have found in my work as a designer is that a trend is usually not something individual. It's a collection of things together that make it trendy. So I use this example sometimes because I think Mm. it's easier to understand. White subway tile became really popular. Not so much now, but in the last 10 years, like Joanna Gaines made that really popular. And people were like, oh, it's so trendy. It's so trendy. And I don't think that white subway tile by itself is a trend, but I think it's a collection of elements in a kitchen that make it trendy. So if you have the white cabinets with black hardware and white countertops and white subway tile, that feels trendy to me, right? Because yes, it's indicative of a direction for something, whether that's like super minimal or super farmhousey. It doesn't have individuality. It doesn't have purpose, right? Yeah. But like subway tile on its own is like pretty, it's actually a very functional tile. So that by right. itself isn't super trendy in my opinion. I was going to say in my mind, the world that I'm in, like in the corporate world, a blazer by itself is not a trend. A blazer is, it's utilitarian. Like you have to wear a blazer when you go to court. Right. So for me, when I see that oversized blazers are in, I don't think that by itself, mm-hmm. like it, it might be a tiny bit different in fit and proportion right. than other items of clothing that I own. But when I see pastel oversized blazer exactly. with some wide leg pants and a crop top with sneakers, that to me, I'm like, okay, that's that's trying right. to appeal to a certain internet aesthetic. Right. The blazer by itself is fine. I could wear that to work. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, and I think when you take these things, it allows you to see like, okay, the oversized blazer by itself could represent that trend, but you could also right. style an oversized blazer with other more classic quote unquote items that would make it less trendy. So I don't think it's always fair to say like this type of design or this element or this aesthetic is always trendy and should never be used. And this is not, but I did want to kind of open the door for like, well, what, what makes something timeless? What makes something classic? And there's a few kind of things that I look for when I'm creating designs that we want to feel more classic. The general consensus is that the longer something lasts, the less trendy it is. So, but how do you do that ahead of time? When you're making a design, I guess you could pick things that have stood the test of time. Right. But that's kind of circular, isn't it? If your trendy color palette ends up lasting for 50 years, then it's no longer trendy. Right. So I think to do that, you have to go like way, 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 way back and say, what are the most classic colors? And you would say, okay, well, the purest colors that are the strongest form of visible light, right? Like in a rainbow, those would be yeah. the most classic colors. But then it's or, like, what are the pigments that existed in ancient Egypt? Exactly. Like you would have to go really historical. And I think you can do that. I think it's good to be informed in that way. But I like to use it more as a data point and less as a firm standard. So the other thing that I like to look at is, the more function or purpose something has, the less trendy it is. 
So Hmm, going back to the subway tile, it used to be that tiles were considered like artisan and they would be hand painted. This is like way, way, way back in the day. Mm -hmm. And then with the Industrial Revolution, going up to like the Victorian era, the whole idea was the faster and easier we could make something, the better it is. So they made just like Mm. plain block tiles and they were easy to make and they were also really easy to clean because that was the first time that hygiene really became a thing. Mattered. (laughs) So they're called subway tiles because they were used in the New York subway to reflect a lot of light because it was dark down there to be Mm -hmm. super cheap and to be really easy to clean. And now subway tile is used in a lot of professional kitchens for those same reasons. Easy to clean, easy to stay hygienic, reflects a lot of light, super cheap to put up. So again, like there's function, there's reason to it. And the last note that I have when I said, how do you know something is trying to your timeless? I said, you know it when you see it. <laughs> Taking all of this, I have a little test that I want to give you. Okay. To see whether you think certain things are trendy or timeless. And there's no right or wrong answer. But I'm curious if we will align or if we'll disagree on these things. Okay. Interesting. Okay. All right. So how do, how do I take this test? Okay. So it's just a series of slides and there's an image and there's a description. Okay. So you're going to read the description and tell me if you think the image is trendy or timeless. Okay. Okay. I can do that. I have not prepared in advance for this. I'm a blank slate. Okay. Can you see this? Yes, I can. It says trendy or timeless. All right. We have 10 images and they're all aesthetic, but they're all different kinds of aesthetic. And I want you to tell me what you think. So okay, read the description. You can describe the image a little bit and tell me what you think. Number one. All right. Image number one. So it says, think before you throw out. And it's like a, it's an, basically an ad for like composting, I'm assuming. Yeah. This is just a Canva template that I stole. Yes. Okay. So an ad for composting. And at the bottom, it says Y2K inspired design. Mm-hmm. Based on, so let me describe the colors to you. Yeah. It's all pastels. It's like a lavender and a butter yellow and a light pink. And they're, the shapes are kind of like off the wall. So to me, that looks very trendy. Yeah, I would agree. I also think, I mean, it probably would have been better if I could change the context, but making composting cool is a very new thing. So I'm like, that makes it more trendy, I think. I think so too. And it doesn't it doesn't seem to have any relationship between like why they picked these colors other than to be on trend that Y2K is big right now. Right. And side note, I actually think this is a huge challenge with using Canva. They have a lot of well designed templates, I would say but there is no strategy behind them because they're just templates. They're made for generic purposes. And so oftentimes they are really, really trendy. And I think that's something you have to look out for. Well, something can be technically well-designed, but not actually be a good design for you because like this, it's balanced. It's aesthetically pleasing, but it's not strategic at all. It it even like my eye goes everywhere except to the vegetables. Yes. Yeah. I kind of don't like looking at this actually because it's a little all over the place. Yeah, it's a it's a bit much. I'm ready for the next one. All right. All right. My next one is the FedEx logo. 
So it says FedEx, you know, in the white and orange. And then the background is a bunch of purple envelopes. Mm-hmm. Mm, maybe they're blue. Let's say they're indigo. They're definitely, I think FedEx, this color is purple. Okay. On my screen, it looks really purple. So FedEx is so integral to my life that I consider that logo to be classic. Yeah. It's like a basic font. This kind of ad, maybe the colors are a little bit more trendy, but I would say this is timeless. It's pretty basic. Yeah. I completely agree. I It's probably not fair because I'm actually obsessed with the FedEx brand, but they have a really cool history and the whole thing. I'm sure you've seen articles where they're like, there's a hidden arrow inside the logo. And I'm like, I don't even know if that was specifically designed, but I just love the way that it moves your eye from left to right. And it feels like it's getting faster with such a clear, good typography. It's it's a really good logo. And they're one of the few brands really that uses orange and purple together. That's brave. But it doesn't look like too much either. No. And because usually you don't see it with the purple background, you see it like on the white truck, which I think right. makes a huge difference. Anyway, what I was going to say about FedEx is even though the colors purple and orange have come in and out of style, quote unquote, because FedEx has used them intentionally, I feel like it has made their brand more classic and timeless rather than trendy. I agree. All right, next one. Ooh, I love this one. This is an all-black kitchen. It has one of those French stoves that I'm obsessed with. I do like the French stove. I do not like the rest of this kitchen. Oh my gosh, I love it. It has like the shaker style cabinets. It's all very dark, but the hardware is gold or brass. So it really stands out. I think, I think this looks classic to me because it's so neutral and it has some really classic utilitarian elements. My prediction is that Rebecca will think this is trendy. Yes. I think everything besides the all blackness of it is timeless, like the shape of the cabinets and like the paneling and the French stove in the front. Like I love all of that. But I think because it's all black, I think that's pretty trendy. It is pretty trendy, but I'm jealous. (laughs) I could not stand a black kitchen. I feel like the kitchen gets so dirty anyway. I want to be able to just be like light and clean when it's done, you know? Interesting. Ty wants like a full working kitchen like stainless steel appliances, the like Tupperware buckets in the drawers that you can scoop things out of. That's that's his dream. Bob really wants the um, pots that hang in the middle. Oh, I love those. The, I just, I do not like that aesthetically. I I just, I get visually overwhelmed by that stuff. Well then, you'll hate our kitchen because we have open shelving. <laughs> I think open shelving is trendy. There's my hot take. (gasps) Well, we're renting, so it's not even our fault. Yeah, that's fine. It's just, it's not functional. So I think, I mean, if you had it very functional, then I think it makes it more timeless. But by itself, it's more trendy. I think it is. I will say, this is the last thing I'll say, and then we'll get back to the content of the podcast. We have tried to make our open shelving extremely functional. There you go. So we have our most used pots and pans. We have our spice rack out there. We have our glassware out there because people are always, if you ever go to someone's house, everybody's always just like opening every cupboard looking for a glass. It's so true. We don't do this like, oh, we have open shelving, but we've styled it. We don't have anything functional on there. No, we're not like that. Yeah. Good for you. Okay. 
we're better than other people. In contrast <laughs> to the black kitchen, mm-hmm. we now have an all white kitchen. And this is a very modern, it has like those, some of those modern chandeliers, a waterfall countertop. This to me is very trendy. Same, 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 same. I totally agree. It's, yep. This is a perfect example to me of like, it's not any one individual thing. It's all of them together. Yeah. The waterfall counter with the white, like that. What's it called when it's like a modern, the cabinets are like super sleek and shiny. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. It's like yes. that style. Anyway, and the all black kitchen, even though black doing all black is maybe trendy. It was clearly very stylized and very individual. Whereas this all white one just feels so generic and sterile. It feels like an operating room to me. It seems like it's from a catalog for like stainless steel something. Cause it's all just like perfect and shiny yeah. and square. Yeah. Yeah. I don't love it. All right. Next one. Next one. Cargo pants. Cargo pants. I actually think are a fun one because they are utilitarian, right? They're a military thing. But, but are either so of these women trend. in the military? I don't know. That woman's pretty buff. She could be she could be a Navy <laughs> SEAL. Who am I to judge? But I don't think they would let you wear light pink cargos with a crop top. I do really love these pants. And I do I, too. I like the trend. I think they're super cute. But I do think that, and again, this is a particular application, right? It's a yes. wide leg, light pink cargo pant. I get the impression that the pockets are probably not that functional. So I'm like, eh, this seems pretty trendy to me. Yeah, it's trendy. But it's a fun trend. All right, next one. Oh, <laughs> this one. Something Rebecca says frequently is that ugly things cause her physical pain. <laughs> <laughs> and this logo that you cannot see causes me physical pain. So this is like a generic cursive font that everybody was really into in like 2012, I want to say. Yep. I was going to say, doesn't this just scream like Pinterest wedding of 2014? Oh my gosh. Yes. So it's like the difficult to read cursive font and then there's a watercolor background and then there's some geometric shapes around the outside. Mm -hmm. That are like a gold foil because doesn't that just exude elegance? elegance yeah this is so trendy to me because it's not that old and Uh it's trying to look modern but it already looks dated and a little bit tacky to me yep and even when we were on pinterest back in the day this looks pretty trendy and tacky yeah i think it was just overdone and yeah not not good trendy yeah again the watercolor is okay if you have a reason for it, the cursive is okay. If you have a reason for it, the gold foil and like the interlocking hexagons, I'm I'm just like, I don't know what the reason could possibly be for that. But it's just too much. Especially all of it together. Also, mm-hmm. do you notice that the name is Jack and Rose? OMG, like Titanic. I'm like, okay, you guys need to get a grip. All right, next one. Like headbands generically, I feel like are pretty classic. This application of headbands, I feel like, is a trend. I have to agree. It was actually, it was harder to find some that I, to find images that I was, I could argue either way on this one. Because I feel like headbands are actually functional, or at least their original purpose was functional. But one of these Mm -hmm. pictures is like the 70s style, 60s or 70s, where 
the knot right over your eyebrows. Yes. And again, like you have to look at the whole image where like she has these aviator sunglasses and long, loose, curly hair. And I'm like, okay, that and that a spray tan more trendy to me. Yeah. Yeah. The other one is like a padded headband with pearls. And those like are classic elements, but I think the way it's combined is still a little trendy. Yes, I totally agree. Yeah. Next one. Okay, this one is called Quirky Serif Font. And it's a logo for a company called Fragile. <laughs> I stole this off Creative Market. Okay, and it's not just, I had to put Quirky Serif Font because it's not just like your standard Times New Roman. There's little swashes and swirlies and sparkles coming off. Yeah. The, the heights are different. There's like little glyphs. Mm-hmm. This looks trendy to me, but it doesn't look tacky. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. I think it's like the cargo pants. Like, I think it's trendy, but I like it. And it's not, the trend hasn't passed me by so that I'm now offended by it. Like the watercolor logo. Yes. I don't think that it's so strong that it doesn't work, but this would totally depend on what you create with it. Yeah. I actually really like the green background that they have. I feel like if it was more of like a chartreuse, mustardy, yellow, green, that would feel a little bit more trendy. Yeah. Whereas a more subdued forest green would feel a little bit more timeless. So it depends on how you put stuff together. All right. I think we just have one more. This one is called Big Tech Illustrated People. So this is an illustration and it's like the ethnically ambiguous people (laughs) with like multicolored skin colors Mm-hmm. And all of their limbs are like rubbery. You've seen these people in ads. Oh, yeah. Like They're... every line on their body is a curve and they all have broad shoulders. This, mm-hmm. this again, it looks trendy, but it doesn't look bad yet. Yeah. yeah. So what do, you, what do you think? Do you think this is more trendy or more timeless? This is trendy for sure. Like the color scheme with all the pastels, these super stylized people with weird haircuts. Mm-hmm. It's a trend. Yeah, I totally agree. So there's a super interesting history of this illustration style. Mm. You've probably, if you're listening to this, you've seen it most probably like on Facebook or Slack. It's used all over the place. Sometimes it's called corporate Memphis, which is just the style that they gave it, the design studio that created it. The ones for Facebook, I actually follow the designer who illustrated those. It's called Algeria. And this is a really interesting thing that happens with trends. So Facebook contracted this design studio and this illustrator to create illustrations for their whole like suite of things. So like we want banners for all of our Facebook groups and we want icons for new users and we want them to represent all of these things. And so, but they didn't want anything that was too specific to any kind of demographic because Facebook is so global. And they also really, really wanted it to be digital and to feel digital and not realistic. Yes. So just a little bit of design learning for you. There's a concept called skeuomorphism, which is the idea that you create a digital representation of what something looks like in real life. So Apple does this all the time with, let's say, the folders on your desktop. Okay. Mm -hmm. Why do they need to look like file folders? 
Like, why can't it just be a little box that represents the files inside? Because we have an idea that, oh, a file folder holds files. So if we make it like a file folder, like it seems so basic, but that's actually a really radical concept that didn't exist until Apple started saying, hey, it will make more sense if we call this a desktop. And people can imagine that it's like their folders are on their desktop, right? Yeah. Do you think that still matters? Like the save icon still looks like a floppy disk, even though generations of people have never used a floppy disk? Well, and you run into challenges when you start creating things that don't exist in the physical world, like the concept of downloading, right? So technology companies, specifically Apple, had to say, okay, how do we represent downloading something? Well, let's use a little cloud with a down arrow or a down arrow in a circle or something like that, right? Yeah. Anyway, so this skeuomorphism. There is an entire generation of people who cannot tell Sorry, the oh, difference between upload and download. Oh, like, interesting. They're, they're like, I don't, the direction doesn't make sense to me. Oh. If I'm uploading it, is that coming to me or is that going from me? Interesting. Yeah, that's Anyways. fascinating. Yeah, because. This is what happens when you work with old lawyers. But Yeah. Well, even like, you know, my husband works in technology and he does a lot of cloud software architecture, blah, blah, blah. They have fancy words for it. But my mom even asked him, like, what is the cloud? Like, where is the cloud? Right. And he was, the cloud is just a computer that's not your computer. Like it's not your files aren't in the ether somewhere. Like they're just on another computer that's not physically your computer. Right. Right. The cloud is just elsewhere. Right. Right. So that's super interesting. So what has kind of happened in the history of design is that skeuomorphism used to be really prominent. And it was like the closer you could make something look to the actual physical item, the better it was. But as we have mm. become more familiar with technology, we don't need that as much. And so I think it was, I want to say it was like iOS 13 or something. Do you remember when they changed all of the icons and they became a little bit more abstract? Yes. On the iPhone. Yeah. And they became a little bit more like vibrant colors. And people were like, I don't know. I don't like it. I'm not sure. But now when you look at an old iPhone, you're like, what is this? Mm -hmm. So we have become more accustomed to our digital world being brighter and less realistic than the physical world that we live in. Anyway. Well, and now, now people live their life to perform for the digital world. Right. Right. So people are dressing in digital colors. Exactly. Instead of trying to make the digital world match real life pigment. Right. Right. It's so fascinating. So this designer created this style called Algeria and it kind of became a trend and it's it's still there. Like you go to any kind of software as a service website and they're going to have something probably similar to this. And it's very divisive in the design world. Some people love this style and some people really do not like it. But I think usually companies have a good reason for using it, right? Like you said, they want to represent all ethnicities, all genders, all body types, all abilities. Right. And they're trying to make a statement that is more inclusive, that it's more interesting. They're trying to say like, what we're doing is new and it's not like what you've experienced in the real world, all of that stuff. But of course, what happens is when everybody starts using this style, now instead of these 
these illustrations, these kind of like flat tonal shadow kind of people representing something cool and fun, they just represent big corporations. Yes. And it almost becomes the opposite of that. There's an interesting kind of parallel in the law. And that is that if you have, if you have a trademark, Mm -hmm. you can lose the ability to protect it if it gets genericized. Yes. Like Kleenex. So think like Kleenex. And so for a while, it's this interesting balance, right? Like you want your product to be so ubiquitous that everybody who uses that product calls it by your name, not the name of the the object. They don't call it a tissue. Everybody calls it a Kleenex because Kleenex is tissue. Right. But also there was for a time Xerox did a campaign saying not every copier is a Xerox. Like we are special. We are different. We're not like other girls. Yeah. Because they didn't want to lose their trademark protection and they didn't want everybody who sells a copier to call it a Xerox machine. Right. Which, ironically, they should have been more concerned about staying ahead of the trends because now people barely use copy machines. Yeah. I mean, that's not totally true. But, like, a Xerox has kind of fallen away. It, I mean, it's not like it's not like it used to be. Yeah. But that, that concept of, like, you don't... You don't want your style to become so prevalent mm-hmm. that it becomes totally meaningless. It, it's an interesting like tipping point, you know? Yes, it is. It is. I think it depends on how your company is structured because perceived value is so important, but it can also hurt you. I don't think it's something that is an automatically good thing. Right. Okay. Well, I feel like that was very informative to go through this little exercise. I, lo- I loved that little quiz. I thought it was fun. <laughs> it's so interesting. Like the more you dive into where something came from, you realize, oh my gosh, everything has such a rich history. And a lot of times your perception of something is spot on for like what yes. it's supposed to mean, especially if it's a well-designed illustration or font or whatever, you know, so it's really cool. Okay, so I want to pivot for the last few minutes and talk about two brands that have done a good job keeping up with trends and two brands that have not. So I'm going to start with, uh, okay, would you rather hear about Coca-Cola or Old Navy? I would honestly rather hear about Old Navy. Okay, great. Coca-Cola, blah, blah, blah. They did Coke Zero so that they wouldn't lose their Diet Coke demographic, but they could still have a zero-calorie beverage for men. There you go. They kept up with the trends. Here's what I want to say about Old Navy. Hey, I don't know if you knew this. Old Navy is one of the few stores that is expanding their retail locations rather than... Whoa. They have... Brick and mortar, y'all. It's still around. They have somehow been able to get people to come in their store. I think What they've done is they've created an experience kind of like Target where people like going to the store. Mm -hmm. And the one near me, I must say, they're not doing a great job of this because the line is always too long and the kids stuff is always unorganized. But in general, they have done a good job of making it so that you want to go in the store to see what's there. And they also sell a lot through volume, meaning when people go into the store, they buy a lot of items. That is weirdly true for me. I'm not an Old Navy. Right? I'm like, I don't even like love Old Navy. But 
they've gotten me before. I'll go in being like, oh, I just want one Halloween themed item for my child. Yes. And then I come out being like, why did I buy 10 pairs of socks? Yes. And How I go to check out and me? I'm like, that was $150? Yes. Like, what? <laughs> yep. I also think I think of Old Navy as like cheap, fast fashion. Uh-huh. I think it is, unfortunately. It is fast fashion, but it's not as it's not as cheap as I would expect. Yes. Yeah. So a couple things that I learned. I there were a lot of things that I had kind of perceived about Old Navy. One is that they've been super vocal about building their brand. And their brand is we sell clothes for everybody and every body. So they have yeah. really been leading the charge in plus size fashion and not making it like a separate section, but just having it all, everything they sell is now from extra, extra small to 4XL across the board. And they've had curvy jeans since like before it was yes. socially expected to have, you know, different sized or, you know, a different yes. shape of jeans for different body types. Yes. They've always had a lot of variety in the shape and the cut of their pants specifically. If you read something that said, their new standard is to have pockets on all dresses because it's so important. Oh, So their strength is in their products and understanding who wants to shop at Old Navy. And the more that they can just make it, yeah, you can get clothes for everyone at Old Navy. Yeah. The more people are buying there. And I think that they're doing that really well. And it's interesting because Old Navy has a better perception than Gap, even though they have very very similar clothing styles and old navies are not as great quality but people tend to tend to shop at old navy more they think of it first i think actually they said they might be they had pursued maybe like separating from gap because old navy was doing so well and gap wasn't interesting but they've done a really good job of making their products trendy their prices are at a good point and they make it easy to go and get a lot of stuff all right well there you go The other brand that I think has kept up with trends is Weight Watchers, and they rebranded to WW, I think it was earlier this year, and it's not even- I think it was three or four years ago, but yes. Was it really? It's been a while, yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, wait. I'm looking it up. 2018. Oh my gosh. Who was right? Who's (laughs) been watching the trends? Turns out it's me. So embarrassing. So Weight Watchers has been keeping up with the trends, but Rebecca has not. Yeah, apparently I haven't been. Well, here's the interesting thing about Weight Watchers because they rebranded as WW to make it less about weight loss and more about wellness, which is kind of a shift in the collective consciousness that we're seeing, right? Like people don't want to diet to lose weight. They want to change their habits to have a better lifestyle. It's just like it says in the Barbie movie. You can diet, but it can't be because you want to lose weight. It has to be because you want to be healthy. Yes, but you have to be thin. Exactly. And Weight Watchers knows that. And they've gotten a lot of criticism, blah, 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 from kind of like anti-dieters who are saying, we're not fooled by this, right? Right. And what do I know? But I don't think Weight Watchers is like, oh, we're going to trick people into thinking that we're not a dieting company. I think they're only goal was to show people that they're aware of the trends and they're listening to what people care about. Yeah. Now, I think that the design that they went for missed the mark. 
It's like, it looks like Facebook to me. It looks way too corporate and mm. generic. I would have done something that felt like a lot warmer. Like I would do a WW where one is curving into another. Where they're it, spooning. Yeah, something like that where it feels like either it's growing or maybe it's like a graph and it's trending up or trending down. I just feel like, and then they chose a, a blue that I just... There's just nothing about it that to me really says wellness other than the fact that they took Weight Watchers out of it. Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it either. It looks like a, looks like a TV network. Yes. Yeah. It looks super corporate instead of, they're all about like personal weight loss, lose weight your way. You don't have to, you know, you can eat whatever you want. I also think they do one of the kind of signature qualities of weight, of Weight Watchers or WW is the point system. And Mm -hmm. so I would have brought that into the logo somehow with maybe the last leg of the W is like four dots that get smaller or something. I just think right there was a lot of personality that could have been put into the logo that they really needed that they didn't get. But overall, that's wild. I I don't think it will keep them from getting flack, but I think it will help them weather the storm of that and come out on top eventually. Yeah. Okay. So now two brands that have not kept up with the trends very well. This will be relevant to you, Abby, because your first job was at a Jamba Juice, which I'm afraid to say has really like not done well. Yeah. Jamba Juice has had some rough times. But it used to be a thing. It used to be a thing. And I wish I had written down I don't wish I'd written down the smoothie recipes because those are so ingrained in my subconscious that if I'm really stressed, <laughs> I have nightmares that I'm scooping mangoes to make a smoothie. Oh my gosh. But I do wish I'd written down how much a smoothie used to be because you oh, yeah. used to be able to get like a 24 ounce smoothie for about $8. And now that would cost you like at least twice that much. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm like, I didn't want to pay $12 for a small smoothie. Like for a sip. Yeah. So here's where I think Jamba Juice messed up. They were doing well. Smoothies were a thing, but they couldn't really decide whether they wanted to be a treat, like a dessert company or a health company. They kind of straddled this line. And I think if they had narrowed down and said, we are treats, we are where you go after a date, we're where you go to have girl talk with your girlfriends, that could have worked for them. You know, they could have been, they could have gotten into like acai bowls or if they just said, We are the post-workout stop. This is how you fuel your body with protein. You get your greens in. I think they rebranded to Jamba. Yeah, but they're just just, Jamba now. It's just Jamba, but it's like, what does Jamba mean? It doesn't mean anything. And even like their logo, I think reads very 90s. Yeah. There's like a gradient kind of style to the swirl. Anyway, I feel like they honestly could have changed their name and done a redesign and it would have served them really well. I wrote this down, but like if you compare Jamba Juice to Athletic Greens, which I see everywhere and I've tasted and they're not even good. What are our Athletic Greens smoothies or is it just a supplement? It's like a supplement green drink subscription. It's like very aesthetic. All the influencers talk about it. I probably shouldn't diss on it. Otherwise, they'll never sponsor us. But... (laughs) Their their whole thing is just like, get your greens in, right? Like you can get three servings of spinach in one drink and they come in these cute containers and they're expensive. 
but yeah, I'm sure there are tons of people buy them. And so I think if Jamba Juice could have done that, they would not be struggling in the strip malls like they are today. Yeah. Here's my take on Jamba Juice. Well, when I was working at Jamba Juice in high school. Wait, and who was dating at this time? Who was I dating at this time? Um, I have broken up with someone over the phone inside of a Jamba Juice. No. Yep. Yes, I have. These are the tidbits that you keep waiting to the end of the podcast to listen for. (laughs) But when I was working at Jamba Juice, the boosts were the draw. Oh. Right. It was you you get a Jamba Juice and it's this smoothie. It's full of fruit. And then you get a free boost so you can get vitamin C or a giant scoop of protein in your smoothie and it's free. And if you get an extra one, people used to come in after workouts and get double whey protein. Yes. And then it makes makes your smoothie so frothy that you have to get a bigger cup. (laughs) But like that was the thing. That was their special niche, right? Yeah. I think what happened is those things became very expensive very quickly. Mm. And so like the margins on the fruit were like zero. Yeah. But then all of a sudden you couldn't give people a free boost. So if you look now, if you want one of those, you have to pay extra for it. And if you have to pay extra to get a boost, you're basically getting an orange Julius. Right. And if there's no difference, then you're both just mall smoothies and you're not a health company anymore. Yep. And so it's unclear why you're trying to sell me a wheatgrass shot. Yep. Anyways, I do think their smoothies are quite good. And some of them are more fruit and less sherbet than maybe you get at an orange Julius. But I think that's where they lost control of the narrative. And they just tried to be everything, right? They tried to do food for a while. They tried to do oatmeal. They tried to do weird little pretzel things. Yep. And now all they are is a place I go at the Denver airport. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was going to say the other thing that I don't know how they've, if they've done very well is get into corporate drinks because Einstein bagels, for example, sells such a minimal percentage to individuals, but businesses have bagels every week or whatever. And that's where they get right. most of their profits. And I don't know that Jamba Juice really had the system or if they knew how to do that or wanted to do that. But I think they missed out a lot on that opportunity too. So I know that they tried like Jamba Kate. They did a big like catering initiative. When I was there, you could do a fundraising where it was like, you could get them for your school fundraiser and part of it would be subsidized. I think it's just the nature of the product. It doesn't travel well. Yeah. I was gonna say like I've had catered or whatever Jamba juice and it's melty and lukewarm by the time it gets to you. Right. It's just never quite the same. Bagels, you can transport bagels and the schmear can be out for a couple hours and it'll be fine. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And and I think that's a good point that sometimes there's just logistical challenges that you have to figure out a way around or figure out a different way. You know, I'm like, if they had combined with Einstein bagels, could that have been a good move for them? I don't know. Right. And it does make me, it makes me sad that they're not doing well because then their prices are so much higher. Yeah. For what it's actually worth. It's so true. Okay. The last one I want to talk about in a brand that has not stayed up with the trends very well. And I hope this is not too controversial, but I want to talk about Rachel Hollis. Interesting. Okay. So I just got an ad for Rachel Hollis on my Facebook, which is what made me think of this. 
and she is doing an event in Dallas and it's 30 to $40 a ticket to see her speak. So let me give you my rundown of who this is. If oh, you don't yeah, know. yeah. Yeah. Give us the background on who is Rachel Hollis. So my understanding, not having been very much in this world, is Rachel Hollis was like an event planner, turned blogger, turned early adoption influencer. Yes. And then she's written a series of vague self-help books. Yes. But that sold very, very well. So she was, I mean, I'm assuming if you sell a New York Times bestseller, you're making a profit from it. That also, she was famous. And then she had a book that made her more famous. And then the book turned into like a speaking series tour. Mm -hmm. So she was like a public figure in that way. But it was all geared towards women self-help like kind of pick yourself up by your bootstraps definitely that was my impression of her brand i did not catch on to her until like her second book uh-huh and i i have not followed the ups and downs of her career okay well let me fill in some of the ups and downs so she had a couple of books she had a podcast she had a bunch of she did like a marriage event with her husband a whole bunch of things and it just really seemed like a craze, right? Where I remember at one point she was selling tickets for a two-day conference and it was something like $500 just to attend, not including like travel, hotels, all of that stuff. So I thought it was interesting that I was seeing an ad to see her speak for so cheap because I was like, "Interesting, what's going on? And somebody else on Facebook had even commented, I remember when it used to be $400, like what happened? And somebody else commented and said, well, she got divorced. Her husband passed away. She's been like dealing with a lot of challenges, you know, and they weren't like snobby about her or anything. But I think it's really interesting kind of what happens when you are your brand. And you know that I talk a lot about personal branding and why it's so powerful. But I think one thing that was harmful for her. Well, okay, I should add one other thing. She was criticized for plagiarizing certain things in her book. I don't know if it was significant passages or just some quotes that she said were her that had been attributed to like Maya Angelou and stuff. And then on top of that, during COVID, she compared herself to Harriet Tubman and that did not land. Did not well. go over well. So she made she made maybe some personal blunders. And then she also just had a difficult personal life. Yeah. Divorce and death and grief, like those are all really hard things. So I don't think it's fair to say like, what could she have done differently other than I think now she is doing a good job of separating herself a little bit from the brand. What I would say, I I appreciate people who take a step back yeah. in some way when things happen and that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to shut your audience out but like the alternative to that is that she rebrands as a grief coach which we've all seen people do right right like, right something happens in your life and all of a sudden you are selling that yes when it's still fresh in your personal life and yeah i don't always think that that comes across very authentic or even that it's like healthy for you to one hundred percent. I have felt that way a little bit. It seems like she writes a new book every six months, and I have yeah. kind of wondered, a, how are you doing this? Because I know yeah. enough to know that a lot of times there are people behind the scenes that are helping, and 
B, is it healthy to turn your pain into a narrative that people profit from? I think sometimes, right. a, a lot of times I should say, my own clients feel really called to do what they do because of lived experience that they have. Mm-hmm. But there is a line and I think only you can know when you're crossing that and when you're doing something maybe for the wrong reasons. Yeah. So I think it will be interesting to see how her brand changes. But the point that I wanted to make with her is following trends or using trends to grow your business is a good idea as long as you're not chasing trends and acting faster than you have time to really think about things. Yeah. And I have kind of a little checklist of when should you use trends in your business. And the very first thing I wrote is if it aligns with your business values, if it is a natural fit, if it aligns with where you want to be growing, like with Weight Watchers where their business values are to help people lose weight and be more healthy, okay, then maybe that makes sense. But if not, don't do it. And I also think there's kind of a metric of how long is this going to live for? A trend on Instagram only lasts a few days. And posts on Instagram are only seen for a few days. So it's probably okay if you use Instagram trends as long as they're aligned with your business. But bigger trends, I would say, like really step back and analyze the longevity of it. So I, I put sustainable impact for number two. Does this have the potential to work for you for a long time? Third thing is customer demand. So like Old Navy putting pockets in their dresses. For them, that's not just a trend, right? Their customers are like, we want dresses with pockets. And they're like, okay. And the last thing is competitive landscape. So sometimes you have to follow a trend because that's what people are expecting from the business at large. I think a really good example of this is paid parental leave in the corporate world. At some point, the market will demand it to the point that companies will have to offer it. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't strive to have that done politically. I'm just saying at some point, in order to retain talent, companies will have to offer paid parental leave. And And you already see that at the top, you know, they're not wobbling over pennies. Right. People at the top have sabbaticals and unlimited PTO and high pay and relocation bonuses and parental leave that's very, very generous. So Yes. Yes, exactly. So I think it's something to be aware of, but hopefully this episode gives you some ideas for ways you can look for trends and ways you can use them without jeopardizing your business by chasing every popular thing that comes along. I think that's great. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to Aesthetically Speaking. If you want to support the podcast, please leave us a nice review or connect with us on Instagram at Rebecca Peterson Studio. 